Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Amen. Sometimes I wonder how he ends up with a mic. Or, or why we keep giving him a mic. <laughs> oh, no, for real, though. Uh, last time I, I spoke to you guys, uh, we, we talked about uh, conviction. And at the end, we went into uh, the idea of Mary going to, um, yep, just drew a blank. Y'all know who she went to, that other lady that was pregnant. She's in the Bible, I swear. Elizabeth, yes. Uh, we talked about putting yourself around other people who have the same thing kicking inside them, being around those people and, 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 and surrounding yourself with those kind of people. And I just, I say that because uh, I spend a lot of time with this, <laughs> with him. I'm going to be nice. Uh, and, and it's just incredible when you find yourself in relationship with people who are driven by the same things you are. I wish I would have had time. I would have put the picture on the screen, but, uh, uh, when was that? Tuesday night, us four went out on a double date, and me and Colby had to run to Best Buy and get some stuff. And this is what it's like when you spend time with Colby. We're in Best Buy, we're looking at laptops and realizing that both of us are too broke to buy a laptop. So, uh, so then we just walked around and act like we had stuff, you know what I mean? He was touching the fingerprint-free things, trying to make fingerprints on. This is, this is what I live with. Uh, but anyway, we get done, we get what we want, we bought a little adapter, we get up to the counter to check out, and Colby just goes right in. Hey, do you have something wrong with your knee? And the young lady, this beloved daughter behind the counter says, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I messed it up in track in high school, and when I sit down in class for a long time, it brings me a lot of pain. He's like, well, Holy Spirit just told me that your knee was hurting, and he wants to heal it right now because he loves you so much. And the whole time he's doing that, he's trying to pay for what we're doing. He's fumbling the card machine and can't do nothing right. So finally, I just pushed him out of the way and finished it for him. Uh, but we got to just go around there and just love this young lady well, pray for her knee, and, and just allow God to come into a situation and change it and heal it and do what he wants to do. Uh, so I just wanted to share that testimony because that's what it's like when you start surrounding. And so, so then your, your time together becomes motivated and driven by those types of things. All of a sudden, you're aware of the kingdom, and you're aware of the fact that I should be loving well and reaching out to people and caring about other people. Instead of surrounding ourselves with people who have us griping at the waiters and complaining about the service and, and all the stuff that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it bothers me that most businesses will say the worst day they have is Sundays when the church people come to eat. Oh my goodness, I am on a soapbox this morning and pastor is gone so he can't stop me. Come on, y'all. Whatever happened to loving people well? So, anyway, let's get into this. Household of faith. I am so excited to share this with you guys this morning. Uh, if y'all get tired of hearing me teach on family, then you'll just have to quit coming on the days I teach. Okay? Is that fair enough? Household of faith. One of the kind of the umbrella of what we've been dealing with, so to speak, uh, this, this new season, this new series we're in, has been restoring the greatness of the church. And Dad has really approached it from just breaking down love, and the series he's teaching on love right now has been incredible. Have y'all enjoyed this series? It's just been so good. Uh, but me, of course, when I just started diving into this and searching out, God brought me back to one thing, family. And, and our households and what it looks like. So today I want to talk to you about the household of faith. We'll start off with the scripture. Galatians 6 and 10. For those of you that are taking notes, y'all want to write this down, all right? Galatians 6 and 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. All. Everyone. No one's exempt. Even your waiter or waitress that messes everything up. Oh, that's too real, ain't it? No, I'm American. I have a right to get the best service. Mm -hmm. I'm on it today, Scott. Help me, Scott. Help me. Let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. The Passion Translation actually says family of faith. So let us do good to all, especially those who are in our family of faith, in our household of faith. 
We've been doing a lot of talking about revival. What does it look like? What does it feel like? How's it going to come? All, there's just so much that stirs around revival. And this week in studies, and, and I'm pretty sure I heard somebody say this one time, so I'm not going to take full credit for it. I probably heard it somewhere. But uh, I, I thought about this quote that says, Revival looks like healthy family. So many times we have all these experience, ex, uh, not experience, I don't like that word. We have all these preconceived ideas of what revival is going to look like in our church. And all those things may have some truth in them. But there's one thing I will stake everything on. It's that revival will look like a healthy family. Can I even venture out far enough to say you won't live in revival without a healthy family? Hmm. I want to start this off with just sharing a, a personal encounter that I had over the last two weeks that really began to set this whole thing up. Uh... Recently, Colby has been sharing his testimony in several of the groups that we've been in, whether it was house church or small group or, or whatever it may have been. There's been opportunities we've had, and he shared this testimony. He did it at Winter Intensive with the students. Uh, but it was about when they were at Bethel in, in Northern California, and uh, they, he just had one of those moments, just one of those experiences where God just showed him something in his past, and he was just delivered, set free. Just one of those incredible moments of just a heart situation. Does that make sense? And in doing that, uh, along with that, Scott has recently, this year, brought out a prophetic word for our church about God overturning all the stones in our heart. That there would be no stone left unturned, that God would deal with everything that's in our heart. And so, based on Colby's testimony and Scott's word, I started just taking that into my, my conversations with Abba. Just throughout the day, sitting at my desk or working around the church, whatever I was doing, I started conversating that with him. What are things in my heart, God? I mean, I feel like things are great right now. I mean, revelation is coming. Things are happening around me. Things are happening in my family. But, but what are the things in my heart that maybe I'm not even aware of? Maybe I don't even realize they're there in this moment. There's stones that could be dealt with. Because his word was he wouldn't leave anything undealt with, if that's even a word. So based on that, I started asking him these questions about my own life, starting with, is there anything in my heart towards you that I'm unaware of? Now, you have to be careful if you decide to pray this prayer, because he's going to tell you. And if he, once he tells you, then he's going to deal with it. Okay? So I begin to ask, what is in my heart towards you that I'm unaware of? And just like a good father, he answered me. And he told me that I believed he was more concerned with the ministry than he was with me. It was a lie that I believed about Abba. So based on the testimonies that I heard these guys sharing of things that had happened to them, I just did what I thought was right and said, why? <laughs> why do I believe this? Why have I bought into this lie about you that has given me a bad perspective or, or, or a mindset? So I asked why, and he took me back to my childhood, to a very specific instance that, that I, once I began to see it, I remembered it very specifically. You have all heard me talk about my dad, my parents, that I grew up in an extremely healthy home. My, I, I would put my parents up against any parents in the world. They were the best. But he took me back to an experience when my dad, was, when we were coming up, my dad ran a business. He had his own logging company that was very successful, doing great. He was always buying timber, cutting track, doing all that kind of stuff, along with being a full-time pastor of a church. Now, what you have to understand is that when you're the pastor of a church, not only do you deal with your family's junk, you deal with everybody's junk. You have to go to everybody's family situations, and you have to deal with everybody's things they're going through, and you have to visit every hospital and everything, and every baby being born. There's a whole lot that goes into it. So my dad was full-time work, full-time pastor, and a dad. So me being an immature young child who was probably just selfish in the moment, I remember this instance so clear I sat on my bed and I made that statement. He's more concerned about all that than he is us because he was gone a lot. To provide us with the life that we had, he was gone a lot. More so because of dealing with people than even his, his logging job. But I remember making that statement. Well, he's more concerned about that than us. So Satan, seeing this as an opportunity, 
takes the statement and begins to slowly, without me realizing it, build a mindset in my own mind. That if that's the way he feels, and he is so connected to Abba, because I trusted that my dad was closer to God than anybody else. So then I just translated it to, if that's the way my father is, it must be the way the father is. And so I grew up with that perception. So when I got into the ministry, which, can I just put it this way, when I was thrown into the ministry, because I was not ready, I just took on the same nature. And you can ask my wife. My ministry was successful. (laughs) I'm going to very much quote that, put those things on it. But my home was a wreck. I mean, you could probably go to, <laughs> go to Russ or to Courtney's mama, and they could probably tell you all the things that she said about me during this time that I didn't know about. <laughs> but see, what happened was I moved here. I got a job working in the woods. I was gone probably, what, 12 to 14 hours a day. I left before, da- left before daylight, got home after dark. When I got home, I went straight to my office. I stayed there till late at night. I thought I had to be planning ministries and going and preaching in places, and I thought that's what everything was about. So I started living from the same place, that ministry was more important than my home. And because of it, I almost lost my home. It's a weird place to be when you stand looking at your ministry that seems so successful. I was traveling all over the place. I was preaching in some of the biggest uh, young adult events here in North Louisiana. I was a part of all that. And I could see all that on one side, but then go home and see that it was a mess. It was a wreck. But I was living under the impression that the ministry is what was more important. That's what God wanted. God wanted me to be that way. And we justify it with so much stuff. But he took me into, it literally came to a point where I took a year. I took a solid year where I didn't plan no preaching dates. I didn't travel nowhere. All I did was what I could do here in this house. And it was kind of my one year sabbatical to get my mind right, to get my spirit right. Well, when I came out of this, I thought, well, man, now I got it right. Now my home is healthy. My family's healthy. I've got this figured out. I'm doing better now. But there was still this thing inside my heart. There was still this understanding that in some way, Abba was more concerned about that than he was about me. So when he began to tell me this at my desk, I have to admit it kind of caught me off guard. That, wait, I believe a lie about you? I believe something wrong? And, and what was crazy, though, is when I began to understand this and he began to, by his grace, reveal to me that he was way more concerned about me than what I could do for him. He was more concerned about me as a son. In other words, he said, I'm more worried with the home than the ministry. I heard a statement a little while back that said, I don't care how successful a preacher has become. If his home life is a wreck, I wouldn't give two cents for him. And it so struck me because I know what it's like. I've been there. I've been in that place. But what was incredible about this is in the moment of him beginning to change this within me. And he began to change my perspective so that I could see him right. And when I began to see him right, he didn't stop there. He allowed me to turn back to the past that had created it and see my father right. See, here's the thing. You're not going to be able to change how you perceive them until you change how you perceive him. Many of us are trying to beat our minds into submission to think certain ways about certain things, when in reality it's not those things, it's how you think about him. And when he begins to change this, it was amazing because I could look back and see how incredible my, my dad was, that I was truly blessed to have who I had in my life. That he set me up For so much. So in this moment, all this is happening, I begin to ask him this. If this is the way I was believing, if this is what I was thinking, then how come it seemed, I'm going to use this word, so successful? Not not then, I'm talking about now. 
I had went through the one year of getting my focus right, and I come to this place, and now he reveals it to me. And I begin to ask, man, it feels like I'm growing in my spirit. It feels like I'm, I'm still getting revelation. I'm connected. My family is growing. So many things are awesome. Why were you allowing these things to happen if this was still in my heart? And the way he began to show me this was all of a sudden my mindset began to change to generational thinking. He didn't give me some big specific answer. He just began to all of a sudden make me think about my, my, my papa and my dad and me and Stephen. And in this process, I began to think about this. And he began to show me that he wasn't just freeing me from a bad perspective. He was breaking that perspective in my family line. So now that's a mindset that Stephen will never have to deal with. So what I want to do today is I want to turn our mindset and us quit being so selfish. God, what are you going to do with my life? God, what's going to be my ministry? The church has become so hung up on your calling that you've missed the whole thing. That's the first thing we tell new Christians. You've got to figure out your calling. Do we? Because I thought he said we've got to join the family. And I don't start telling my son at seven years old, you better figure out what you're going to be in life. You better get ready to go to college. You better start picking a, a, a career. No, I don't. Mm, we're going somewhere today. I hope y'all will go with me. What was awesome about this vision that God gave Scott about turning over the stones, uh, in it he took him to uh, the scriptures where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. And after they crossed the river, what did they do? They got 12 stones. And they built an altar, a memorial, and why? Why did they build this memorial? It goes on to say, so that your children's children will remember. So in other words, God said, I didn't just do this for you. This is generational. Quit being so selfish to think everything that happens is for you. It's for the kids that are coming behind you and those kids and their kids. It's a generational thing. Each, generational is, each generation is designed to build on the generation before it and keep improving. I'll stand on my dad's shoulders, and Stephen will stand on my shoulders. He's a generational father. That's why he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a good father, and any good father that's worth anything thinks generationally. Generationally. If I was to ask every person in this room, Are you generationally minded? I feel like the most of us would want to say yes. Matter of fact, even if you're not, you would probably just lie to me and say yes, right? Because we like to think that we're in favor of the next generation. But the true answer to that question is, what are you doing to imprint, invest, or equip them? Healthy family lives generationally minded. You know, I believe this is a huge reason why we see churches die and decrease. Churches get so caught up on what's our ministry right now? What's our thing right now? And because of it, we didn't build anything that would help them. So when they get up to take over, either they have nothing to take over or they walk away because there's nothing there. The church has so become about right now that we are so opposite of a family. A family is, cons a healthy family is always preparing the next generation to take on life, right? Well, has the church totally missed this? Has the church completely missed this opportunity, this, this, this realization that we are also a family? And if we don't imprint the generation that's coming up, they won't be here. I, I want to I use a, a very familiar story in the Bible to kind of show you how this works. We all love the story of Joseph, right? He interprets the dreams. Abba moves him up in the kingdom. It's, it's, it's incredible. But if you begin to look at Joseph and his story from a generational family perspective, it changes it totally. Let me show you something. I believe that the household of faith that Joseph was raised in played a huge role 
in what he did. Now, don't get me wrong. It was Abba that gave him the ability to interpret the dreams. There, there's no denying that. Without Abba, there's no way he could have done that. But doing anything for God, no matter what it is, if you do something for God, there comes a moment of partnering with it, and you have to cross that line, so to speak. Does that make sense? If you're going to do anything in faith, there's an invisible line that you just have to eventually muster up the courage and step across that line. Whether it's sharing your faith, praying for someone, uh, giving uh, beyond your, your means, blessing someone, whatever it may be, there's that moment where there's a line and you can have all the help and all the encouragement and everything in the world. You could go to the best church, be in the best worship, but unless you yourself step across that line, you won't live a life of faith. This is how it's designed. This is, this is the way we live. Everybody's life testifies of this. But let me ask you this question. What if the culture of our homes makes it easier or harder to cross that line? What if how we raise our children determines how hard it would be for them to step into faith? See, because if you look at Joseph, his great-granddaddy was Abraham, his granddaddy was Isaac, and his dad was Jacob. He come from a generational line of people who had dreams, visions, encounters with God, moments that were incredible that you couldn't deny. He came up in it. So yes, he had to cross that line, but for him to say God can interpret these dreams wasn't a far-fetched idea. It was, well, that's the way I was raised. I mean, of course God's going to give me the dream. He gave my dad one, and he gave his dad one, and he gave his granddad one. So they had created a household, a generation, a generational legacy that when it came time for him to cross the line, it wasn't a struggle because he'd been sitting around in the tent. He had been sitting around the campfire, hearing his granddaddy, hearing his, his dad talk about all these moments, these visions, these encounters, all these things that had happened. So they had created a culture within their home that when it came time to cross the line, he would say, well, yeah, I'm going to cross the line. It's how we always do it. Joseph was raised in an environment that promoted and championed these kinds of moments. Are your kids? Are our kids? Are we raising our children in homes that promote and champion crossing that line of faith, stepping out and taking risks, sharing our faith, praying for the sick, giving generosity, giving generously, whatever that is. Are we being raised, are our children coming up in those kind of homes? Or are they coming up in homes that are just normal Monday to Saturday, but then we come to church and we're another home? I love these scriptures, Hebrews 11, 8, and 9. Write these scriptures down, you're gonna want these. All right, say, I don't want to speak for you. I, I thought they were awesome. Hebrews 11, 8, 9. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. We all know this, right? By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch. By faith, all these guys. But listen to the way the writer does this on Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Now catch this, what the writer specifically puts in here. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were the heirs with him of the same promise. Why put this in there? We're not talking about Isaac and Jacob, we're talking about Abraham. It was Abraham's faith. It was Abraham's faith that the writer's talking about, but he couldn't include Abraham's faith without including the sons who were going to get the same promise. What if the level of your faith is not nearly connected to, how do I want to say this and still be? What if it's not as religiously expressive as we think and your faith is more tied to and connected how it sets up your children? Hmm. I love that the writer puts this in the scripture. 
as if to let us know that Abraham's sons were on this journey of faith with him. I feel like a lot of homes, parents are on faith journeys without their children. Mm, Man, this is real, y'all. We're going on journeys of faith. We have commitment to God. We have prayer time. We have study time. We have all these things while our kids have none of it. They're not involved in any of it. I love that the writer puts this in here because now we get this picture of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and possibly Joseph, once he comes along, sitting around a campfire outside of a tent, listening to the goodness of God be shared amongst the household of, I remember when God gave me this vision. I remember when God gave me the promise. I remember when God did this. I remember when God did that. And so Joseph is just being raised up in this culture that is faith all the time. He's saw his his great granddaddy step out by faith and go somewhere that no one else would go he saw these things happening so then when joseph comes to that line that he has to cross i believe it was with ease i believe he laid down that night and just knew oh god's gonna give me the interpretation why wouldn't he he gave it to my dad and his dad and his dad and the way he was raised. But instead, today it's the exact opposite. Oh, God, God's probably not going to do that because I've never seen him do it before. It was easy to step in the realm of believing for the interpretation because he had lived in the experience of it. Not at corporate gatherings. Not when the preacher was promoting it. No, he experienced it at home, in his household, with his parents, with his siblings. It was their culture. It was a household of faith. What if we could create a spiritual greenhouse effect where our children were being raised in households of faith that gave them the opportunity to grow in any season or condition and also grow faster than we did? Has our home, are our homes greenhouses or deserts? Man, I've been so convicted over this this week. Are our kids struggling in our homes because there's no spiritual climate? Or have we created households that champion faith? That it's not abnormal when our family stops to pray, to worship at home. It's not weird. My kids expect at some point there will be worship music played throughout the house. And they'll dance and they'll sing. It's not abnormal. When my kids get sick, it's not abnormal that I don't rush them to the doctor. To take them to the doctor, they would be like, well, where are we going? What is this place you speak of? I'm preaching my preference. You, you live by your own convictions. But it's not abnormal. My, ki- my son will come to me, and the first thing he'll say, Dad, I've got a headache. We need to pray. Not give me some ibuprofen. I'm talking about home culture, and I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to be real this morning, and I'm not going to apologize for what Holy Spirit is trying to create. In light of this teaching that Dad's doing on Wednesday nights on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this concept that I'm talking to you about was evident in my personal journey. I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit almost instantly at salvation. Am I saying that's how it is for everybody? No. I don't know, it's different for most people. But let me show you something as it relates to culture and home life. I was filled almost instantly at salvation. Baptism of the Holy Spirit on my life. Evidence of speaking in tongues. Now I hear stories of like my dad. My dad got saved and sought after God for 11 months before being filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's even people in here today that are praying for this baptism. Who are, who are possibly struggling to get to that place. You may be struggling with it because of a lack of experience 
or because you were indoctrinated against it. So it's harder for some people to cross that line because of false doctrine or just a lack of experience. But see, my sisters and I, we were lucky enough to be raised in a home with spirit-filled parents. So it was normal for us to hear our parents praying in the spirit. It was normal for us to go try to get mom for something and her door be closed and music be going and you could hear her going after God, praying in the spirit, praying over our family, praying over our home. It wasn't abnormal to see my dad walking around declaring the goodness of God, being led by the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, praying in the spirit in front of us. It wasn't abnormal. It was the home we grew up in. So I believe, if I'm being just just honest and vulnerable with you, I believe that crossing that line of faith into the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues was easier for me because I was raised, that's what what they did. It it wasn't some far-fetched stretch of the mind. It was my home. It was my life. And in my mind, even as a young person, I would look at my dad who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, who spoke in, in tongues, which it's so much more than that. I don't know why I keep throwing that out there. But he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I would look at his life, and then I would look at the lives of people who were against it. And I would say, I want his life. Man, that's a mouthful. We were lucky enough to grow up in a home where for us to cross that line, it was, well, my dad did it and and I've seen my grandparents doing it and I've seen the effects in their lives. So, I mean, why, why wouldn't I just step into it and enjoy it, be a part of it? It's a household of faith. It's a household of faith. You know, I just, this just came to my mind. You know, in, the, in Acts, when the church started just exploding, in most cases you read about, they were saved and filled. Saved and filled. Saved and filled. Not every instance, but I'm just saying, in most cases, that's the way it worked, right? If you know your Bible, you know this is straight scripture. Why? Because they were coming into a home, a household, a family, where that's what was happening. It wasn't some long stretch of the mind. They were coming into something that This is not some experience I've never seen or heard. This is the household that I'm growing up in. We also grew up in a household where small groups and house church was common. Man, we have story after story after story of us growing up where we would come home from school and not long after that, people would just start showing up at our house from everywhere. No one made phone calls. They didn't send out text messages. People just showed up. And we would be out in the yard playing until late at night because our parents were in there going after God with the people they were with. It wasn't, it wasn't a design structure by the leadership. The pastor wasn't pushing them. You need to build community. You need to be in a small group. No. They were just so moved by being a part of a family of believers that was hungry and legitimately loved each other. And therefore, they ended up together. They ended up in each other's homes. They ended up having dinners together. And can I tell you, they didn't sit around and talk about football. They didn't talk about the weather. No, they were sharing testimonies, diving into the Word. I heard a preacher say recently that parents are scared to send their kids to college because the professors may talk them out of their beliefs. Can I tell you, he might talk them out of what you told them, but he can't talk them out of what they experienced. Our homes are lacking experience. Can I just be honest and throw that out there? Parents are scared of smart professors because we've raised inexperienced children. And if we talk them into it, That professor's way smarter than you, and he'll talk him out of it. I'm not going to talk Stephen into believing what I believe. I'm going to live it, and he's going to experience it. 
I grew up around kids from certain denominations and then got older and worked with men who were indoctrinated with falsehood, but it didn't matter what they told me because I had an experience that trumped their intellect. They could say what they want, but I'd stand back and say, yeah, but you didn't experience what I did. Man, this is real. You know, I'm thankful I grew up in the weird family. I'm glad I went to the weird church. I'm just being honest, y'all. Because I grew up in some weird stuff. (laughs) Oh, this church ain't seen weird. Well, maybe the original. (laughs) But you know what? I'm thankful for it. Because it was experiences that you can't take from me. It was experiences you can't talk me out of. Experience. I grew up in a household of faith. I grew up in a household that clung to the testimony that my sister was, had brain damage and God completely healed her of it. We constantly, constantly heard that testimony. We were raised in a culture of faith because we lived with the proof. We lived with the experience. What if my parents hadn't have taken that stand? What if they wouldn't have moved in faith and she would still be living with brain damage? Not only would it have affected her, it would have affected me and Whitney, and me and Whitney would have then grew up thinking, oh, well, God must not do that stuff. He only does the other stuff. No, we grew up in a household of faith that said if he can heal her of brain damage, he can do anything. It was the testimonies and the experiences that the sons of Abraham were hearing and seeing while staying in tents and sitting around campfires that set them up for a spiritual legacy in their own family. I want to make a bold statement here. It was growing up in a household of faith that fueled Joseph's personal revival. Can I I submit to you that if you create a household of faith, it will fuel your kids' personal revival. There is so much of my life I credit to the household of faith that I was raised in. Don't, don't get me wrong. There was the line that I had to cross. And I had to step into it. But I was able to step into it and be where I am at this moment because I was raised in a household of faith. My personal revival is rooted in experiences, moments, testimonies of being raised in a household of faith. My parents were full of faith. Help me, Jesus. I believe we're seeing a great exodus from the church by students because there's no households of faith. It's easy for us to stand up here and say that teenagers are leaving the church because it's just too religious. But in reality, if the church is too religious, it's only because all the families gathering there are too religious. Students are leaving us at an alarming rate. And it's not because of the church. The church is all of us families. So for me to say they're leaving the church is to say they're leaving us. They're leaving their homes. They're leaving their families. I deal with this a lot as a student pastor. If we want our kids to fulfill their spiritual destinies, then we have to create spiritual houses. Houses that are full of faith experiences. Does your faith at home, does our faith at home translate different from our faith at church? If so, maybe that's why our students are walking away. They're confused about the two different lives that parents are living.
I was writing this, I was reminded of the teaching that Jesus did in Mark chapter 3. Where he said, a house divided cannot stand. And I understand the context that he's in. I understand what he's talking about. But the principle remains. So, wouldn't this concept also be a picture that if we have one version of home that goes to church on Sunday and another version of home that lives between Sundays, that maybe this is why our homes are not standing and remaining and they're not stable. Maybe they're too divided. We have a Sunday family and a Monday family. I mean, to take this a little further, the Apostle James said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and think that he'll receive nothing from the Lord. Have we somehow created a double-mind home culture? A double-minded home that's clearly unstable, and yet we're standing back asking God to bless it? We have the responsibility of governing the level of faith in our homes. And I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Just as a student pastor right now, the weight of what's happening to our kids is overwhelming. We, we bring in a lot of kids from the projects and just from tough home lives and backgrounds and all that. And, I, and there's such a heart for those students. And used to, I would say, that's probably the roughest ones. They have it the worst. And in the natural, physical, monetary value, they probably do. But what is worse? To not have the things that we think we should have or to have this experience? To hear a whole lot of what God is but never experience what He can do. This has become such a a driving force behind Colby and I and our student ministry on Wednesday nights that I refuse to bring in another culture and raise them the same way church students are being raised. I don't want to bring them in and indoctrinate them with the same thing, that God's awesome, he'll do all this cool stuff, we just don't get to be a part of it. So we begin to pray, I don't want to go through a Wednesday night to where we don't experience what we're telling these kids he's about. I don't want to raise them in another divided home. They have enough dysfunction where they're at. But we're just bringing them into churches and adding one more layer of dysfunction. One more layer of confusion. I mean, we do realize that there's no faith in this building, right? I mean, I know that seems kind of, but you understand that, right? Like this building has nothing to do with the faith. The level of faith here on a Sunday morning is completely governed by the faith you bring in here. So if you show up on a Sunday morning and leave and think, oh, that was dead, probably because you were dead. And you didn't bring your faith to the building. So without everybody bringing their measure of faith, mm, you know how to raise the level of water without adding more water? Put more people in it. So what happens is we come here and there's a certain level of faith because the praise team and the ministers have gotten here at 8 o'clock in the morning and we've been praying and we've been preparing and there's been a team in this little back room over here interceding over the service. So the level of faith is here. Well, if you'll come add your faith to it, it'll go up a little more. And if you'll add your faith to it, it'll go up a little more. And instead of wading around in ankle-deep faith, we'll be swimming in it. And God will be doing miracles and he'll be speaking into people's lives. So don't come here and put that pressure on the pastor and the worship team because if you showed up without your faith whoo that was all free so if it's the same if that's the case with this building it's the same thing with your home don't gripe about the lack of faith in your home it's only as high as you want it to be Abba is desiring to speak to you outside of this building. So that includes your home. When's the last time you conversed with God at home about your home? 
Or do you just wait till you get church so you can get us to pray about it? Mm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have threw that out there. I took a shot. When I was writing this and praying this, I just couldn't help but, but quote my buddy Zach Baines, who just happens to be here this morning. But he's got a new song out called Worth, and it's so legit. It's, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff, Zach. The words are phenomenal, but in the course it says, I just talked to God and I wasn't in the church. Now, I know this seems so simple, and the more I thought about it, it just kept ringing in my head. I just talked to God and it wasn't in the church. And then I began to pull up my own experiences of how many life-changing experiences, conversations I've had with Abba that weren't in this church. And I ju- it just began to play over my head. And I know it seems so simple, but what if I asked the question, do your kids and your spouse know that you're talking to Abba at home about your home? Have they experienced it? Do they know it? They know without a doubt. Have they ever come in and accidentally interrupted you while you were in conversation with Abba? Or would that be foreign to them? It's our responsibility to create the household of faith, to provide what is needed for our homes, to be full of faith, encounters, experiences, hope, salvation, love, joy, peace, righteousness. I'm really just going to jump off the edge here. Did you know it's not our responsibility here for your children's salvation? It's not on me. It's not on me. Holy Spirit connected me to the scripture in 1 Timothy 5 and 8. When I read it, you'll know it. It's a very, very popular scripture. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If he does not provide for his home, his household, he, is deni- he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now I'm going to be honest with you. When I first went and read this scripture, the Holy Spirit took me here. I argued with him. I know y'all are all too holy to argue with the Holy Spirit, but sometimes I do it. <laughs> and the first thing I said was, yeah, that, that, no, let's see, that's different. That's talking about working and providing a check and giving your family what they need. Now, that is your responsibility as a man. You know that, right? I mean, that, that's a given. But when I begin to say that, no, 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 that's talking about, you know, getting a check and provide it. The Holy Spirit responded with this very emphatically. Don't remove the spiritual responsibility from my word. Ouch. But see, that's exactly what we've done. As long as you're making the money and you're providing a certain life and you're meeting their physical needs and you're doing your job. But were we only, provide, only called to provide a check? Or does the Bible say that we're the priests of our home? And if you're not providing what a priest provides, then according to this scripture, you've denied the faith. Are we as parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, brothers, sisters, etc., are we providing what is needed to build a house of faith? A family of faith? Or are we just providing what's needed to live a certain lifestyle? I mean, if we're just going to be totally honest here, Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he would add all those things that you feel like you have to work so hard to get. When did we decide that providing a certain lifestyle was the primary role of parents? See, growing up, we didn't always get the nicest stuff. Can I ask my sisters? We didn't. I mean, most of our clothes were bought at Walmart. I mean, it's just, it, was, it was the way we lived. Our parents didn't, didn't have a ton of money. Now, don't get me wrong. They always made sure we had everything we needed and then some. I mean, I didn't get my first pair of Jordans until I went to work. I could buy my own Jordans. Because Dad went there and said, you're crazy if you think I'm going to spend $100 on shoes. And now I tell Stephen, you're crazy if you think I'm going to spend $100 on shoes. <laughs> but until I went to work, which was early in junior high, parents, hmm, I want to get on that. I, I didn't have none of that until I bought it myself. 
And on that concept, can I tell you that those Jordans didn't make me no better at basketball? Because I would tie you in a knot in a pair of starters. I'd be around you so fast. You'd be giving me your Jordans when I got done with you. You know, it's crazy on that idea. Me and Jermaine had a conversation the other night. Jermaine teaches one of our classes on Wednesday night. Can y'all just give a hand for Jermaine? He is so awesome. He hates when I do that. No, but he, he does a lot. He does so much around here serving this body. But he was telling us about their class they taught Wednesday night. He was teaching on this subject that the parent, the, some of the students had made a statement that they didn't feel as whatever because their jerseys had an R on it instead of a Nike check. Yeah, that's for real. That's for real. Parents, be careful how you raise your kids. Do they have to have a Nike check to be good? Mm. I remember growing up with those kids that had everything the same in sports, matching shoes, socks, everything was Under Armour, Adidas. And I'd be over there in my starter in my Walmart socks, and I'd be balling them kids up, son. Like, man, that, that Under Armour don't make you play like Steph Curry. I promise you that. But we was talking about this and how our kids are coming up in a culture that says, if I don't have the Nike check, I'm not as good as, or I'm not as, as this, or I'm not as that. And we blame it on kids. And we blame it on everybody else. What if we begin to look at ourselves? Growing up, I knew what my parents thought about me. I didn't need to succeed. I didn't need to be awesome. I didn't need to have the best clothes because I knew what they thought about me. I didn't need edification from somewhere else. That's just good stuff. Jermaine's teaching some awesome stuff to them kids. See, but in reality, I'm not upset with my parents because other kids had nicer things. My parents were imprinting me with something that money couldn't buy. Hmm. I may not have grew up having the Jordans and all the Nikes, and I didn't get a brand new car when I graduated. I didn't get none of that stuff. But you know what I did get? A household of faith that imprinted me for where I'm standing right now. So a lot of the kids I grew up with who did have everything, they're not standing in pulpits declaring the goodness of God. They're struggling and working to try to create what they came up in. Legacy. Generational. So I'll wrap it up with this. What mindsets are we imprinting on our children? What kind of bad perceptions will they have towards Abba because of you? What experiences will they have to hold on when their faith is challenged? Or will they even have any? I'm a third generation teacher of the word. My papa did it. You all get the privilege of hearing my dad do it. And now I get the privilege of doing it. And I remember at one point in my life, I thought that was like, oh, well, you know, it's like, I don't know, you get weird about it. I don't know why, it's just dumb, but we do. We do dumb things, let's just be honest. But now I so hold on to that because that's my legacy. That's my history. Three generations of men of God who stood in a pulpit and declared the goodness of God. I hold on to that with everything within me. I am thankful that I was raised in a household of faith. This is the last thing. I know I said I was ending with that, but I promise I'm ending with this. So how does all that relate to this? Pretty much everything I've dealt with today has been your personal home. Remember, we started with the statement, restoring the greatness of the church one household at a time. What if the greatness of this gathering is in direct proportion to the greatness of those who are gathering. Does that make sense? So everybody has a part to play and everybody becomes super important when you understand this. How does this relate to the church? Well, when all the values and the principles are operating in, in our homes like they're supposed to be, the church will operate like it's supposed to be. It will become a household of faith, a family of faith. Young believers will know what it's like to come up in a household of faith. And the experiences will trump the intellect. They won't be tossed around by false doctrine because they will have testimonies and experiences to draw from. False doctrine is so crippling 
for young Christians to these days. Because we're bringing them in through their head. Does that make sense? We're, we're telling them a lot of stuff and it's in their mind. And so then when another doctrine comes in and it's really good and they can even pull some scriptures, then it starts bringing confusion. But what if those new converts were coming into a household of faith and they had experiences? They had moments where they knew this is what God did. So when the false doctrine comes in, they reject it because, wait, no, you don't know what I experienced. They would have testimonies and experience. I really feel like this is what Holy Spirit began to tell me about the church. Who is really just a gathering of households of faith. That when our homes are operating like this and we gather together, the supernatural will no longer be unnatural. It'll just be the home we grow up in. The baptism of the gifts, the baptism and the gifts of the Spirit won't be foreign to them because it will be the culture of this home. And lastly, but certainly not least, personal responsibility and accountability will not only be common, but it will be accepted and expected. I'm going to say this again. When the homes are operating in this level, here in this home, personal responsibility and accountability will not only be common, but it will be accepted and expected. I heard this analogy used the other day that if my son Stephen was to stop growing right now, it would raise, it would raise an alarm. Not only would I be concerned, but my wife, his grandparents, his aunts and uncles, there would be concern because why has he stopped growing? If he stopped growing, something must be wrong. Well, the lack of family culture in the church has voided that reality in the church. So I can't come to you. Actually, I could come to you and you. But I couldn't come to you and say, hey, what's wrong? You haven't grown any in the last six months. You don't look no more like Jesus now than you did six months ago. What, what's wrong? What happened? Something must be wrong because you're not growing. But see, not now because we're not family, so you would be offended. Oh, tell me I'm not growing. I'll show you something. Well, you just proved to me that you're not growing. That's what, it, that's what it's like in the household. And you know what's crazy about it? My son wouldn't be upset that I told him, son, you're not growing. We need to do something. We need to get you on some Pediasure or something. We need to start feeding you nothing but protein. He wouldn't be upset with me for calling him out. He'd be saying, all right, Dad, whatever needs to be done, you tell me because I want to keep growing. I mean, it already drives him crazy that he's six inches shorter than everybody in his class. You can thank his mama for that. All right, we're, we're going to have an altar call, but I, I just got to tell you all about this because it was so good. Speaking of him and being short, he come home from school the other day. Me and Courtney, were, I brought him in, and me and Courtney were unpacking his stuff, and he was saying, all of a sudden, he said, Dad, he was so serious. You just, if you've talked to Stephen, you know how he gets. He's, Dad, I need you to buy me some Skechers. At first, I was like, yes. He didn't say Jordans. <laughs> I can afford some Skechers. No, Dad, I, I got to have some Skechers. I'm, I'm thinking, what? what? Why Skechers? Of everything, why do you need some Skechers? Because I'm, I'm tired of coming in last at PE when we race. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him the truth. I just said, yeah, son, we'll get you some. I wanted to say, it ain't the shoes, son. I'd have to buy you some longer legs, but I don't think that's going to happen. Oh. <laughs> but see, the reality of it is, him coming in last raised a red flag in his, in his mind. Hmm. I'm preaching a thousand miles an hour. He raised a red flag in his mind because something wasn't right. Everybody else was finishing like this and they're going like this. Maybe some of you in here need some sketchers. Can we just have an altar call and everybody pray for sketchers? Does it work like that? Or? <laughs> right. 
But as a household of faith, we have to realize that we're at that point now where if you're going to buy into, if you're going to become a part of the family, if you're going to say, you know what, this is what I want, I want to be a part of this family, then accountability will not only be common, but it'll be accepted and expected. So I can take you like I've done, Colby, and sit you down in my office and say, bro, what's the deal? Your attitude is junk. You're not loving well right now. And Colby doesn't get offended and leave. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to another church. For one, he doesn't because he knows I'd say, bye. <laughs> no, he don't because he's a son of this house. And he sees other people growing and exceeding. And all he thinks is, I don't want to get left behind. I want to be a part of this family. Golly, I could go on forever. I don't even know what time it is. I'm just... Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.